Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Our scripture reading for today comes from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, We're going to be looking at some wonderful passages of scripture today, Um, often avoided uh, passages of scripture, but incredibly helpful passages uh, when rightly understood. So let's consider these words together. First Peter, of course, Peter was uh, a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of the early church. And we believe that he's writing these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so that means that these words come to us today with the same kind of authorities of Jesus himself were teaching. And so let's hear together the body of Christ, the word of Christ. First Peter 3, 1 through seven, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning Be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. But this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you've been with us over the past uh, four weeks now, I've been telling you the story of how I, I met and fell in love with my wife, Paige. We, we actually met, if you've been here at a party not too far from here, it was a Christmas party right off of Wyuka drive. There's actually a road called Wayuka Terrace. And uh, I saw her there at the party and she was gorgeous and she was stunning. And I could tell that she was just amazing. And if you remember the story, I got one minute to talk to her, but quickly she was pulled away from me and I didn't get another chance to talk to her. I didn't get her name. I didn't get her number. Well, two years later, it just so happened, I got a job coincidentally in Paige's hometown as the pastor of First Baptist Church in Covington, Georgia. And I met, in the process of being there, this mystery babe from the party two years before. I met her father. Well, he told me that she had moved out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which only made her cooler in my eyes. Now she's like this awesome girl that works at a ranch in Wyoming. But of course, I thought to myself, well, there's no way I'll I'll ever be able to connect with her now. She lives way out there. Well, one night I was getting dinner with a buddy. And Paige's name came up in a conversation, and he knew Paige, and he said, man, if you meet Paige, if you get to know Paige, you will fall in love with her, and you'll want to marry her. Well, sure enough, I got her phone number. I give her a call, and by our second conversation, we, we talked for like four hours. In the whole month of October 2008, we were talking for four hours every night on the phone. I told you last week, you know, I'd call her. She got off work at 8. I would call her at 10 p.m. our time. That was 8 in mountain time was 10 p.m. here in Eastern time. And I would stay up talking to her until 2 a.m. 
and I'd go to bed and get up early, and you know what? I felt great because I was on cloud nine. I was in love, and so she told me that she was coming home for the month of November, and I told you last week that we had worked it out to where I was going to go and pick her up from the airport, and on my way to go get her, I thought to myself, I'm about to pick up the girl that I'm going to marry. That's where I left off last week. And now the rest of the story. So, so I go to, I meet her there in baggage claim. And it was a big moment. And we had been talking. There was all these emotions. And uh, it was amazing. And, and she just was so cool. And we got in the car. And I'd asked her on this date for that night. But we had a few hours to kill in the, in the meanwhile. And so I actually, if you'll remember, I was in a wedding. I left the wedding, went to go pick her up. I actually took her back to the wedding. Now, what was... <laughs> What was amazing is all these girls, you know, were there dolled up in all their dresses. Paige was in jeans and a flannel shirt, but as cool as she could do, she just rolled right into the reception. We hung out. We had so much fun. We went over to a buddy's house and watched the uh, Florida-Georgia game, and finally it was time for our big date. We went down. It was November 1st, 2008. We went down to the Georgian Terrace. There's a restaurant there. We ate right on the terrace, and it was a perfect November 1st day. And we sat outside. It felt like hours. Georgia Tech, for any Georgia Tech guys, actually upset Florida State that day. You could hear the roars coming from Bobby Dodd Stadium. It was just like this perfect afternoon, perfect evening, eating dinner together. And we just talked and it was great. and It was easy and it was wonderful. And then we went to the play. I took her to, across the street to the Fox Theater. We saw the musical Wicked, uh, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, I took her home that night just thinking this is, this was the greatest first date that has ever happened. <laughs> so for any of you guys had good first dates, Paige and I had the best, but anyway, <laughs> so I took her home that night. I'm just, I'm just head over heels for this girl. Keep in mind, I'm a pastor at this time. This is a Saturday night. So I have to somehow get up the next morning and preach. Now at First Baptist, we had an 830 service. Um, and so I get up, Somehow after this amazing night, I stand up to do announcements, just like I just did here at the beginning of the service. I look out in the crowd. There was always a slim crowd at the 830 service at First Baptist. I look out at the crowd, and there she is. She had come to the 830 service at First Baptist Church, and that's what I knew. This girl is into me. And so... <laughs> So anyway, yeah, she said my sermon was horrible. <laughs> anyway, so we hang out that whole month. I mean, it was just amazing. But Paige is flying back to Wyoming on December 3rd. And so, I mean, it was an intense month because I'm thinking like, I got to lock this up by December 3rd because <laughs> she is getting out of here and she'll meet some cowboy. And so... Um, And so anyway, so she flew out to back to Wyoming on December 3rd, and I have never felt like this. I, I just this new feeling. Some of y'all have felt it. It's a horrible feeling. I was love sick, you know. I had just had this amazing month, and then all of a sudden she was gone. She was living in Wyoming, and I was just sick about it. I just missed her. So finally, after 11 days, I couldn't take it anymore, and I flew out and surprised her out there. And I told her I loved her. And I said, Paige, you got to quit your job and move back to Georgia. And she did. 
So we went in, we quit our job, we loaded up her little Nissan Maxima, and through a blizzard, drove all the way back across the country, got to her parents' house in time for Christmas. And um, that was 2000, that was the end of 2008. We got engaged on February 6th at Callaway Gardens, which is where my parents had gotten engaged. What I didn't know is that February 6th was the day that her parents got engaged. So we got engaged the same day as her parents, same place as my parents. And then we got married May 23rd, and by God's amazing grace, have had just the most wonderful 10 years uh, together. So that's my love story, guys. Now you know. But it's been fun to talk about this. We've, uh, if you've been with us, as I've been telling this story, we have been in a series talking about love, but particularly talking about marriage and talking about God's design for marriage. And we've talked about a lot of different things, everything from the roles of marriage, to the structure of marriage, to God's purpose of marriage. If you're last week, we talked to the men, and we talked about what what is a role, what is God's design for the roles of husbands in a marriage? And we said that husbands are called to be lovers of their wives, to be leaders of their wives and family, and to be learners, to know their wife and to live with their wife in an understanding way. Men, that is what's to be true of us. You should be known as primarily as a, as a man that is full of love for your wife and family if you're married. You should be known as a great leader of your household, leading them uh, in all things, but particularly toward godliness. And, and you should be known as a man that, that desires, that seeks to know his wife, that you're learning your wife, that you're understanding her so that you can love her more and lead her in a more fulfilling way. But if that's the roles of the men, and again, if you missed the sermon last week, Please listen to it on the sermon podcast. I want to talk today particularly to the wives. What are some roles that God has called you to in marriage? And uh, we're going we're gonna to go to 1 Timothy 3 that I read earlier, but I actually want to go back to the very beginning of Scripture also in this sermon and, and just look at some of the, the order that God set in place uh, in his initial design of this amazing institution called marriage. And the two big things that I think we see throughout the arc of Scripture is there's this, there's this arc of, of a woman being a helper, a helper for her man and for her family, and a nurturer for her family. These two big ideas of helper and nurturer. Uh, if you remember in the very beginning, before there was sin, before anything was corrupted in the world, when, when everything was as God had intended it to be, we read this in Genesis 2.18, it is not good. It's a shocking sentence that in this mode of perfect design before sin, before anything was flawed, the word it is not good comes into play here. And it says it's not good that man should be alone. And God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And of course, if you're familiar with the story, out of everything that God had made, there wasn't a helper that was suitable, that was found in all the other creation. And so God Uh, takes from the man a rib, and he forms this woman. And I love just thinking about this idea. We believe in a three-person God who is all the same substance, right? He is each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all God, as the old creed says, very God of very God, light of light, God of God. They They are all the same substance, living together in perfect relationship. So, Though they are three, they are one. There is this oneness to the God who we serve, who we believe 
in. And don't you see in marriage, you have of the same substance, man and woman, different persons being called together to be one in the covenant of marriage. Don't you see in God's design how he's creating this institution to show something and reflect something of his very nature? And when the man and the woman understand this, that that they are equal in essence, they are perfect in God's sight as men and as women, but they have a different role within marriage. There's a structure about marriage in the same way that we see in the Trinity, though the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all equal in essence, they have different roles within the Godhead. When, When man and a woman see this, there's incredible fruit in marriage. This is actually what I really wanted to talk about today, but we, we're not going to have time. I'll have to do a whole other sermon series because we're going to spend most of the time talking to the ladies today. But just real quick, some of the fruits of marriage that we see, first of all, just friendship or companionship, right? Uh, you're not supposed to be at war with one another. You're supposed to be one with one another. You're, you're called to be companions. And, and that is when we understand God's design in marriage. When our marriages are being sanctified, that's what's produced. I mean, look at the man and the woman in the very beginning. When, when God brings the, uh, the woman to the man, he says, At last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And they come together, and the Bible says they are naked and unashamed. There's total vulnerability. They, they totally know one another. There's nothing hidden, and there's no shame. There's no fear. There is a oneness. This is what should be true of our marriages. The second thing that we see, the, 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 the woman, the man and the woman coming together was necessary for the assignment God had given the man. God had told the man to, to work the land, to fill the earth, to have dominion over everything that he had created and to fill the earth. And as we understand, like that's only possible when the woman comes into play, as the woman is. The complementary nature of this relationship allows for the man and the woman to actually have dominion over the creation and for the man and the woman to fill the earth. This is a union that is so strong. It's an amazing thing to think about that it actually creates life. And then lastly... Uh, the man and the woman come together to do good for one another, to, to make one another whole. It is not good that the man should be alone. It is good that they come together. In a fallen world, we see that the man and the woman come together to sanctify one another, to bring sanctification or holiness or wholeness to one another's life. So this is the fruit. This is what God wants to do. He he wants us to have companionship, to have love and and somebody that we can be totally vulnerable and totally known by. He wants us to achieve, if you will, his mission for our lives. He wants us to be sanctified, to be made whole. And, and, And you will begin this path if you really understand how God has designed marriage and the roles that God has asked you to play. And for the wife, there's two ideas here, helper or supporter and nurturer. God has made women in such a way that they have the capacity to care for the things that he has made. So let's look at these. First of all, helper. God says, this isn't good that the man should be alone. He needs a helper. (laughs) He needs someone to help him. He'll never be able to do what I've called him to do alone. And God's design for marriage, I want you to hear this, is that the man and the wife together would be a team that they would work together. And, and, and it, it stands to reason, you know, people always push back on this kind of 
talk or preaching in kind of an egalitarian modern world, but it stands to reason that men and women have different roles in marriage because they're a team. Not everyone on the team plays you know, receiver. Not everyone on the team plays running back. Everybody has different roles, and that's uh, people understanding their roles is actually what benefits the team and makes it right. That they would be a team. They understand their different roles. They're unified together, and that the woman would help her husband, respect her husband, and let the husband lead in the family. And then we see this arc throughout all of Scripture. It's interesting that the very end of the Ephesians passage that we've been looking at that gives instruction for marriage, verse 33, it says, let each one of you, husbands, love your wife as himself. And then it says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The husband should be marked by love. The wife should be marked by this this posture of help and respect. And I just want to say too, if you're kind of new to scripture and you're coming to these things, you're saying, look how oppressive these things are. Look how oppressive Christianity can be. I want to remind you that, that the reason these instructions are here is because Christianity is being introduced in an oppressive society. And men and women, or women in particular, are feeling so valued and so liberated. It's if Paul's coming back and saying, this is great. But you still need to remember that there is some structure that God has set in place. This is He is speaking to a liberated, if you will, group of people and, and reminding them, hold on, there's something actually more beautiful that God wants to do as you understand his design. And, and wives, I just want to say this to you. When your husband knows that you are in his corner, that you respect him, that you have his back, this is so life-giving, so necessary for a man. And, and, and as he knows this, and the more he knows this, the stronger he will be. In 2010, I, I, after, right after we got married, I started working on a PhD, and I was the pastor of First Baptist Church, and First Baptist, wonderful church, many wonderful people, but it was also a really tough church. It was 109 years old. I was 27 at the time. 2010, 20, I guess, eight. And I'm changing all of these things at the church. And you can imagine 190-year-old church changing a lot of things, this 28-year-old guy. They didn't like it too much. And people wanted me to feel that they didn't like it very much. So that was going on. It was, I brought a lot of hardship on myself. And there was a lot of foolishness in my part too, I'm sure, in the process. But I'm also starting this PhD and trying to, um, you know, pursue this education, which was a great challenge, obviously, to take on. And then midway, my first PhD semester, I got in this program, and I had all these papers due and all this reading to do. And it was a Wednesday night, and it had been a hard day. And I just thought to myself, I can't, I can't do this. Like, there, there's, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And so I went home. I still remember I went home. It was after our Wednesday night service. And Paige, I guess had taken a separate car. She got home a little later than I did. And I, I was sitting in the hammock behind our, our house and I called her back there and I said, hey, I, I want you to know I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit the PhD program tomorrow. There's just no way I can do it. I, I, I'm so far behind on these seminar papers. I'm so far behind on my reading. And uh, you know, I just felt bad. I've, I've been busy. I feel like I'm not spending enough time with you. And I thought she would say, what I was expecting was great, you know. Now we can hang out more. You know, now you can help me with things more. Now I get more of your focus and attention. But I love what she said. 
I'll never forget this. She looked at me that night and she said, Jason, if I help you, how much work do you think you can get done tonight? She's like, don't worry about the whole thing. Just let's see what you can get done tonight. Let's see how much you can finish tonight. And when she said that, and I knew she was in my corner, and I knew she was going to like hold my arms up. You ever seen the scene on how Grinch stole Christmas when the Grinch's heart grows three times and he gets the strength of 10 Grinches, you know? When she said that, I got the strength of 10 Jasons. And I went into my office, I started working. Sure enough, I got the papers written, not that night, but I eventually got the papers written. I got, and I earned my PhD. And because of her posture of respect and help, that she's in my corner, it has made me a better man, a better leader, a stronger man. And I just want to say this, so many of the counseling for marriages that are in trouble that I have done, so many of the issues stem with this. The, the man does not feel respected by his wife. He doesn't feel that she's really for him, that she's really there to help him. He doesn't feel strengthened by her. He feels beat down by her. Women, this is so important for men. It's God's design. Now, you might say, well, hold on. My husband is not a good guy. <laughs> He's not worthy of respect. He's not a believer. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve this. And this is why 1 Peter, the passage we read, is so interesting. Let's look at it together again. I'm just going to read the first, uh, let's say, four verses. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. So what Peter's talking about here is, what I think he's talking about is unbelieving husbands. But even if you say, ah, maybe it's just disobedience husbands. Either way, okay, an unbeliever or a disobedient husband. They're not obeying the word. He says, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing that you rear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty that comes with a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight are very precious. Now, I mentioned this passage actually a couple months ago when we were in 2 Peter. I flipped over here and just said, Christianity is weird. These things, this is not what you would expect, Right? If you were expecting somebody advising a woman, you want to have influence over your man, you want, to, you want to bring him to belief, you want to get him to do the things that you want him to do, you would expect it to say, braid the hair, put on the gold jewelry. I mean, obviously this is first century context, but, you know, use your appeal, use your control, use the gifts that you have to really win him over. Use good argumentation, show him how strong you are, show him the, the gifts that you have. But this is not what it's saying here. It's saying what's actually more impactful, what will actually change him, what will actually prick him to the core and change his heart is the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, respectful, see the word, and pure conduct. This will actually win over, it says here, your unbelieving husband. Luke Prill and I were talking this week about this passage and you know, he had read somewhere that uh, the author said, if such is the case, if a woman by these things can have such an impact on her unbelieving husband, think about how much more 
uh, wife can have over a believing husband who has the Holy Spirit in his heart. Think about how much more powerful these things can be among believers. Respectful and pure conduct, the, the imperishable beauty of the inward person. But Peter goes on, and this is a fascinating passage. Verse five, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So you know the story of Abraham, great father of Israel. What you may not know about Abraham is that he really failed in many ways. He failed in his faith many times, trusting the Lord. He failed as a husband many times. Twice, two different times in Abraham's life, he, he was in a foreign place and he lied about who his wife was, Sarah, because he feared the people that were in charge. And he actually let these men take her away from him as to be with her as to be with her as one of their wives in order to protect himself, okay? So worst thing, guys, never do that, okay? <laughs> Pro tip, don't do that. <laughs> this horrible, sinful action by Abraham. Now, if, if the characterization of, you know, how people sometimes view Christian's understanding of marriage was right, then Peter would have used one of those examples. He would have said, hey, Let's see how submissive you are. Remember how Sarah, whatever Abraham said for her to do, that's what she did. Remember Pharaoh, remember Abimelech, but that's not what he does. In fact, those are situations where actually Sarah shouldn't have submitted to Abraham. He was asking her to do something sinful. And I would just say to all of you women here, you're never called to submit to your husband in a sinful request. But what the, the example that he does use when he's commending Sarah for how she honors her husband, is he says, she calls him her Lord. Now, if you go back and look at the text, what, the same text that Peter would have read, the only place where Sarah calls Abram her Lord is this one little obscure passage. It's in Genesis 18. It's not that obscure. It's when the angels come and they say, Abraham, you're going to have, or God comes and he says, Abraham, you're going to have your son Isaac, even though you're old. It's the one where Sarah laughs and it's Genesis 18, 12. Here's what it says. So Sarah laughed, at, laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, if you're, if you're a biblical theologian, this is a, if you're Peter, this is a weird passage to like ground your whole theology of how a woman should behave. It's just this one little obscure passing comment that she makes in the context of this whole other thing going on. But I just want to say, I think that is the point. It's an obscure passing comment and it shows the posture of her heart. It's not this big drama. It's just when she's just talking about Abraham, she just refers to him in this respectful way. My Lord, he's, he's the one that God has placed as head over me. It's just the, the, the overflow of her heart, this respect for her husband. And she's being commended for this. She loves and respects her husband, even though he is a flawed, flawed man, even though there are times where he's not worthy of respect, even though there, there were times where she was much more godly than him. She trusted God 
and she respected her husband. So women, we're called to do this. We're called to be helpers and to live in this posture of respect toward our husbands. I want to be really practical here. If you were here last week with us, we gave you some resources. Oh, I dropped it. And uh, we have them available again this week, and we have more. Last week, if you were here, one of the things we said is, husbands, you're called to be learners of your wife. And so we gave you a list of questions to ask your wife, to learn her. Now, I noticed that some of you husbands conveniently forgot to pick this list up. And I'm sure throughout the week, you're like, you know what? I can't believe I forgot to pick up that list. Guys, not to worry, not to worry. We have them available again, okay? So guys, I want you to pick these up. And like I asked you last week, ask these to your wives. They want you to ask them these questions and it will help you to obey God's word and live with your wife in an understanding way. We also have available another activity that we passed out last week, what we're calling the kind of the love activity. Basically, it's what we've done here is we've taken 1 Corinthians 13, which is the biblical definition of love. And we've all failed to love. We've all failed on so many of these points to be patient, to be kind. We've all envied. We, we've boasted. We've failed one another in our love for one another. And really the activity here, it's such a, it's such a helpful activity. Trust me, couples, if you will do this, this, this will help your marriage. If you'll take these independently of one another, go through this list, write down where you have failed one another, and then take some time to come. And you may not have something to write down for every single one. That's great. But where you have failed, write down that down. And then when you come back together, just confess those things to one another. And if you will adopt a posture of confession and humility, this is helping you do that, it will be so good for your marriage. That's the second activity. We also have, um, last week I mentioned the day date, a time to get together every week and strategically work on your marriage. And we've got a, a guide for how to do that. Um, I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit later. But last but not least, ladies, I got one for you. And men, this is our payback time, right? It's just called Ways to Be a Help to My Husband. And there's just some really practical questions here. And I just, I want to tell you, ladies, if you will ask these things, Paige has done this. We've done both of these activities. I've asked her the questions I'm supposed to ask her. She's asked me these questions. And I'm just telling you, it is so great when she asks me these things. It, it just feels like, ah, oh, she is in my corner. I do have a helper. I can do the things that God has asked me to do now. I, I, I am not, I, I'm strengthened by this. So, Here's a couple of examples. This is the wife asking the husband, do you think that I put you first over the children, my parents, friends, job, or other events? And just let your husband answer that. Husbands, be careful, but be honest. Another one, do you think that I talk about you in a positive light to others? Another question, do you think that the things that I am involved with help our marriage or hinder it? So again, this is a great activity, ladies, that will help your marriage. And so all of these are available. Now, men, I'm going to ask you to take the lead on this. And even if you're single, guys, if you're, if you're a single guy here, pick these up. Uh, some 
some girl someday is going to be so impressed. If you have the, they'll be old and all tattered and they'll be like, this guy's been preparing. Um, <laughs> but pick these up and men, I'm going to ask you to take the lead on this as God's called you to be the head of the home. So ladies, you're called to be a helper. But second thing, you're called to be a nurturer. Now we looked at this passage last week at the end of 1 Peter 3, and there's other passages we could go, but just since we've already been here, I, I want to spend a little more time with it. It's two husbands, but it, it, it actually gives an insight on ladies and, and how you ladies are made. And so if you here last week, this will be a, a bit of a review, but it, it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, we talked about this last week, the word weaker, kind of explosive there. It's from the Greek asthenes, which I believe should be translated. If you look at the word, I think it should be translated, and there's a lot of meaning in this, the more delicate vessel. If you hear last week, I gave the analogy of the plates, but there is a delicacy about women that comes from complexity. It's a delicacy that's the overflow of complexity. And this complexity in women is by design. God has given capacity, and I believe in so many ways, but particularly emotional and nourishing, com nourishing complexity to women that most men just don't have. In, in so many ways, women, you have a nurturing gift, an emotional intelligence that your husbands likely don't have. And that's not their fault, right? So don't be mad at them either. Live with your husbands in an understanding way too. But God has made you this way for his purposes. Uh, nurturing is built into the woman as a part of God's design. He looked at the man. He says, it's not because the man could be alone. There's no way he could complete the task that I've given him. There's no way he could care for creation in the way that he is supposed to as he is. And he makes a woman. And even just built into how a woman nourishes, nourishes the family. I mean, a, it is a woman by design, obviously, that has children. And then obviously that cares for and nourishes, feeds the children. You know, when, when we first had kids, the first year of my children's life, they had no idea who I was. They had no need for me, you know? It's like, she's the one that's got what I want, right? You can change my diaper, but really, I just want to go back to mama. And even just like, even if you just think about like, I mean, this is, I, I can't like build a theological case for this, but have you ever seen a man hold a baby? Like, we can do it, but we're just not built for it, right? You get a little scared when a guy, especially the one, even me, I mean, I've held a lot of babies. People still are a little nervous, you know. But you see a woman hold a baby, it's just like, okay, that's, that's natural, that's right. There is a mechanicalness to the way that I parent. And again, I know there's exceptions here, and, and some of that's probably good for my children. But as I said before, there is an emotional intelligence and wisdom that Paige has that I watch her display in our parenting that is so necessary and so good for our household. It's, it's a delicacy that comes by her complexity. And it is beautiful and it is right. And this is one of the roles that God made for women because it's necessary for the household. And this is why throughout the arc of scripture, there's a lot of emphasis on women having 
um, having a posture toward the home. Uh, Titus 2, a famous passage, verses 3 through 5, it says, Older women be reverent in their behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. But then the older women are to teach what is good, to train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. There's a posture toward the home. Now, people ask me, well, is it biblical for women to work outside of the home? And the answer is, well, yes. In fact, the, the, the kind of key passage for like the complete woman that we see in the Bible is Proverbs 31. Some of y'all may have heard that, Proverbs 31 woman. And the Proverbs 31 woman, if you look at it, has like three different jobs. She's outside the home. She's a manufacturer. She's a merchant. She's involved in real estate. So this is a well-respected businesswoman, but she's also, as we see in the passage, incredibly attentive to her husband and to her family. She is a crown for her husband and family. So according to the Bible, can a woman work outside the home? Of course, it's celebrated in the Bible, but her priority, I want you to hear this, her priority is her husband and children. And this is what we see throughout scripture. And I just want you to hear this, women, you are uniquely gifted by God with this gift of nurture that a healthy household desperately needs. I want to say one thing, though, before we move on. And this is to working ladies, working mothers in particular. You know, I, I want you to know, if you're, if you're working outside the home, I incredibly admire you. I look up to you. So many of you have much more complicated jobs than a lot of men in here, harder jobs. You make a lot more money than a lot of us men are making. And that is wonderful. And I respect that. But I just want to say this, as I would say to men too, is a warning that I often maybe give to men, but I should give it to women also. You are not defined by what job you have. That is not what makes you valuable in God's sight. Your job, your career, how much money you're making, what you're accomplishing, these are, remember, they're good things. They're things that God uses, but they're perishable things. They're perishable things. Again, as I said before, 1 Peter was written where there were some impressive ladies, successful ladies, and he's reminding them, look, you know, again, the braiding of the hair, the gold, I mean, there's some things we'd probably change, some words we'd probably change if we were writing this in the 21st century, but the, the overall message is the same. Your outward appearance, you, you let your, not your adorning be outward or external. Your, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight are very precious. And, and I don't know how the older women in here that have been following the Lord for their whole lives would advise you younger women, but I, I bet you it wouldn't look too different than this. If ladies, toward the end of your days, you, you look at what's really valuable, I think you would say to your daughters and your grandchildren, love your husbands and children, be self-controlled, be pure, make your home a wonderful place, be kind, and respect your husbands. Let them lead you. Wives, you're called to be helpers and nurturers, and when this happens, the home is so healthy you know, God's design for marriage is so wise. It is so good. It is so beautiful. But I just want to close with this question. Why is this so hard? <laughs> why do we struggle at this? Men, why, are, why can't we 
love our families in this sacrificial way? Why don't we lead our families? Why, why can we be so passive? What's wrong with us? And ladies, why is this so hard for you to honor and respect the husband that God gave you? And I just want to say as we close, these things go back a long, long way. If you're familiar with the account of original sin, if you remember, the serpent came to Eve and she ate the fruit. But it's interesting, throughout the Bible, it's never referred to. The original sin is never referred to as Eve's sin, right? The Bible doesn't say, oh, when Eve sinned and messed everything up. No, it's always referred to as Adam's sin. It was Adam's sin in the beginning. Yet, of course, it's clear in the account that the woman ate of the fruit first. But it's interesting, if you look at the passage in Genesis 3, 6, it says, this is after the serpent had tempted her, she says, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband. And this is an interesting passage. Who was with her? And he ate. Adam was with her. God had assigned Adam rule over the garden. God had told the man to take dominion of the garden, to care for this wife that he'd given, to instruct her and to lead her well. And he allows his serpent into the garden. And then he allows this serpent to come and talk to his wife. And what is Adam doing? He's just standing there watching this. He's just being passive. He's just letting this happen to his wife. And I can almost imagine, again, the Bible doesn't say this. I'm using my sanctified imagination here a little bit. But I can almost imagine at the moment where Eve wanted to take the fruit, her looking over to Adam as if to say, you think this is a good idea? And I can almost imagine the man who probably kind of secretly wanted to see what would happen if someone ate the fruit but was too scared to actually eat it looking over her and saying, go ahead, you know, go for it. What cowardice, what, what irresponsibility, what, uh, what a failure to live out the role that God had called him to. This tree, this, what happened at this tree when the man really failed his wife and disobeyed his God. At that moment, God's design for marriage was ripped apart. It was distorted forever. And you can imagine how this hurt Eve, how it broke her trust. They were supposed to be a team. They were supposed to have one another's backs. Adam was supposed to care for Eve and protect her and take care of her. And then in this, this greatest moment of need, he was just being passive. And even when God questioned him, what did Adam do? He said, this wife you gave me, he blamed his wife. Now, later on, when God is talking about the curse, when he's, when he's talking about the curse of sin, he says to Eve this, and this is fascinating. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And from that day to this, I believe women have struggled to trust their husbands. To let their husbands leave. There has been conflict. It's interesting, the word rule over there is the Hebrew yism, or yimsel. 
Yimsel. It's the first time in scripture that we ever have a word like this used. It's a word of war. It's a word of conflict. It's as if God is saying, this thing that I designed to be so unified and so together, now there will be a struggle. Now there will be a conflict. Now trust has been broken down. And this is why marriage is so hard. There is a curse. But I just want to say I have good news for all of us. Single, married, husband, wife. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. And for you men, remember that Christ has redeemed you from the curse and you can lead and pursue and love your wife knowing that in Christ you have been loved and pursued and sacrificed for and cared for. And, and, and through the strength of the gospel, you can love the wife that God has given you. And women, wives, Remember that Christ has redeemed you from the curse. And even though your husbands at times and maybe many times may not be very trustworthy and they may be hard to respect, you can trust God who will never let you down, who will never fail you, who pursues you to the end. You know, most of us go into marriage with such confidence, right? We think we're going to be the best wife ever, the best husband ever. And then we get married and it kicks our tails, you know. Our marriage is yimsel, <laughs> conflict. But I just want to remind you, at the first tree, right, marriage was divided. But, but at the second tree, the bloody tree of the cross, marriage was brought back together. It was healed. And if you will go into your marriage under the second tree, under the bloody cross of Jesus, not as somebody who's got it all figured out, somebody who's expecting your wife or your husband to be perfect and fulfill you, but if you will go into marriage as a sinner in need of a savior, seeing that you're married to a sinner in need of a savior, then your marriage can be beautiful. And then through your marriage, and I want you to hear this, God can make you beautiful. As Paul says, holy, without wrinkle or blemish or any such Let's pray that God would do this. So Father, we are trusting now in the work of the gospel to take root in our hearts and lives, to change our hearts and lives, to lead us in Christ to life and godliness. Lord, help us. Father, I pray for the husbands here that they would be so full of the confidence <clears throat> that Christ loves them and pursues them and has sacrificed for them, that they, Father, in turn, would, as worship to him, love and pursue and die to themselves in the pursuit of their wife. Father, I pray for wives here, Lord, as they are, as they are Father, they're, they're struggling to respect and, and help and, and honor and nurture a family that, sometimes feels so unrespectable and, and uncaring and thankless, Lord, I pray that they would remember that, Lord, this is all led by Jesus who will never let them down, who will never leave them, who will never disappoint them if they understand his, his work and his will. And Father, through this gospel, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. You would heal broken hearts. You would heal our distorted minds and that you would lead
lead us in truth and godliness. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.